Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest today is Annalise Scarpacci, who just came out of Mrs. Doubtfire on Broadway. She is such an incredibly talented, super nice person that I noticed this kind of trend with people in their early 20s, mid 20s who have started their work on Broadway in their teens uh, come with a level of maturity that I don't often find with people of that age and that I didn't have at that age. And I, uh, I wonder actually if if people who are naturally predisposed to being a little bit more mature at that age are the ones who find success in this business at a, at a little bit younger age because they take themselves more seriously, or if they, because they get cast, because they're part of professional productions with lots of professional adults, that they're forced to grow up a little bit more and therefore it creates that level of maturity. I don't know. What do you think? Let me know. Hit me up on DMs or uh, wherever you want to reach out. Let me know what you think. You have to listen to Annalise's new EP, Pathetic Little Dreamer. It's so amazing. It's so good. And obviously get the Mrs. Doubtfire cast album, which just dropped because that is something everybody needs to hear. Find me online on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast on TikTok at the theater podcast. You can visit me on the web at thetheaterpodcast.com and however many other places that you can Google and find me and more information. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, anyway, we're going to take a quick break and then come right back with Annalise Scarpacci. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's guest is a powerhouse of a performer, having made her Broadway debut in 2012 at the age of 13 in A Christmas Story, the musical, followed almost immediately by Matilda, the musical, and most recently on Broadway in Mrs. Doubtfire, the musical, starring as the eldest daughter, Lydia Hillard. She has a new EP called Pathetic Little Dreamer. I was listening to it last night as I was putting these notes together. It is so good. She also gives private lessons to teens and kids and is now a proud college graduate. Congratulations. Annalise Scarpacci, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. No problem at all. Yeah, congratulations. You made it through college. From oh, I Pace. did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. I'm shocked that I did, but I did it. I can't believe it. So you were doing like full undergrad and Doubtfire and COVID and the EP 
mastering, mixing, recording, writing? Like what, what the hell, man? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no pun intended. What the hell is right. Um, but yeah, it was kind of the pandemic kind of came as like a blessing in disguise in a way, because I had taken the year off of school to do doubtfire and then COVID happened. And that fall, I was like, all right, I guess I'm going back to school. I always planned on getting the BFA no matter what. But the pandemic kind of came in handy in a way so I could graduate. Exact, Not exactly on time because it was a year later than I was supposed to. But it was definitely faster than what I would have gone if the show was running at the same time. So did you take the time then to uh, to work on the EP or where was where was the actual uh, EP recording through all of this? That was all during COVID. Um, I started writing. I wrote all the songs and did everything for the album pretty much starting with like around April 2020. Wow. So I, yeah. So, yeah. So, so it's like a whole everything COVID shut down project. In, yeah, everything shut down in March and then April you started that well, that I I think that speaks to a lot of who you are, um, which which I hope to get into because yeah. literally a, a month into the pandemic, when everyone's livelihood gets ripped out from under them, you're like, well, I guess I'll do this instead. And, yeah. and I mean, so what is that about you that that made you, I guess, dive into that versus what what some other people did? Sort of myself included was sort of want to crawl under a rock and wait for the the war zone to be over right oh there was plenty of that there was plenty <laughs> of that um but i mean i didn't go into the pandemic thinking like oh i'm gonna come out of this with an album i just started writing songs and because that was the only thing i really had was my guitar and there's only so much television you could watch i watched every show and i was like i'm just so, it was the same routine every day which I'm sure it was like the same for everybody, you know, like it was just like, you get up in the morning, I did my workout and then I would get and go do what I have to do, put on my clothes for the day. And then, you know, same, eat my lunch. And it was the same thing every day, which feels like so long ago now, but it really, you know, it feels like a world away, but, um, it really was kind of recent, but, you know, thinking back on it, writing songs was all I had. And I would just sit on my couch and write songs. And that's just hmm. how I passed the time. And then eventually it just turned into, hmm, I think I may want to release this. Well, did you, did, is that the first time you started writing? Or, or have you just kind of like thrown things around for a while or done covers um, or performed publicly not doing covers? really. I mean, I started writing, I, well, okay. So way back when I was in Matilda, I, they had just opened the guitar center on 44th street and they were offering lessons. So I decided to not take guitar lessons because I thought that playing bass was going to make me more of a badass. <laughs> so I decided to, to play bass and, um, I was quite good at it. I will say I was quite good at playing bass, but then when I was a junior, so that was when I was like a sophomore in high school. But then when I was a junior, my parents got me, a guitar, an acoustic guitar for my birth for Christmas. And I had started writing. Once I started playing guitar, I started writing like, like cute little campy songs when I was a senior that like should never 
surface the earth. But hey, they were great for your first songs. They were great first <laughs> songs. But um, then I kind of stopped once I went to college because, you know, living with roommates, I felt very insecure and I'm an only child. And not that I was insecure, but I was more insecure of the fact like I hate when people are like the the thought of if anybody walked in while I was writing, I hate that feeling. I need my hmm. alone time. I need my space. When I'm writing, I need nobody to bother me. So it was definitely... I took a break for a long time. And then when the pandemic happened, it was the first time I realized I had nothing to do. And then I just started playing. And then eventually songs came out. Liz, I was going to ask about college, but you had said that, that you took, you had already been, had taken the year off 2020, right? To, cause Doubtfire yeah. was supposed to open. Yeah. So I was, I had finished my first two years of college and I lived at school for the first two years. And then the summer before my junior year was when I booked Doubtfire. Oh, that, okay. So then, yeah, you, I remember too, March, 2020 was supposed to be like, yeah, we're going to be gone for like a month or two max, maybe, maybe three and everything will come back. Yeah. And so that's, that's really cool though. And I love, um, I love the style because it sounds like, uh, it sounds like music that comes out of contemporary musicals. And I yeah. don't know if that, I don't know if that's intentional, but uh, No, I mean that's kind of just like I've always wanted to be a storyteller. I hate songs that are just like I mean every song tells a story. I shouldn't say that some songs don't, but some songs are like more story-based rather than um just like a catchy chorus. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And for me specifically, my musical inspirations, the number one being Sarah Bareilles, who every song has a story and every song has a meaning. I just, you know, was just so inspired by her lyrics, specifically um, her, all of her albums, but specifically her soundtrack for the TV show, Little Voice that she did. Mm -hmm. And I loved that show um, because of the journey that, that main character had but yeah specifically that album inspired me to you know kind of like hey i could write story songs and people will still listen so why why the name pathetic little dreamer why pathetic (laughs) um well a a lot of people ask me this it kind of just came to be um it wasn't like there wasn't really a meaning behind it to be quite honest i mean everybody kind of searches for me to you know, have this like profound answer, <laughs> but it's kind of the point where I was just looking at myself in the mirror and I'm like, wow, you're kind of pathetic living at home with your parents because your job got shut down because of a virus. <laughs> like, what? Like, what? <laughs> like, this is kind of pathetic right now. Um, and you know, I was at my, a beach house that we rent over the summer and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I, I thought of the melody, the song, the title song, Pathetic Little Dreamer had a completely different melody. It was originally a ballad at first, um, but the notes, the da 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 that was all the same. And it was just much slower. But um, I was looking and I'm like, what is a word that will represent? I loved the fact that it was Little Dreamer. And I was like, oh, pathetic. Because that's what this situation kind of is for everybody. We're all kind of pathetic. If we thought about our 
if we, if we looked back at our lives, if we knew what was coming in the future, we're like, <laughs> look at us. We're a little pathetic right now. Well, everything kind of seems that way when you look at, in hindsight, right? Like everything in the moment, it's the biggest deal. And then you look back, you're like, man, that was really pathetic. Exactly. Now you have more problems to deal with. Right. True. Hey, hate to break it to you. That's called life. Yeah. But, but <laughs> when did you, when did you start? Uh, I guess getting into performing because obviously auditioning for Broadway and getting on Broadway doesn't just happen overnight for the majority of people. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a thing that I was born with. My parents were, are definitely to blame. Their wedding song was all I ask of you from Phantom <laughs> of the Opera, <laughs> um, which is, you know, they just love Phantom and they've seen it like, a trillion times um which is funny because when i saw it i did not have the same i guess revelation that they had when they saw it. but they also saw michael crawford so <laughs> i totally <laughs> you know it's like when in the 80s it was like this huge thing but it mm-hmm. was for me that aha moment was billy elliott which i'll get to um my origin story pretty much starts with shirley temple and listening to Shirley Temple all the time. I was a dancer first. Um, I was in ballet classes forever and ever. And then I had done, I asked my parents if they could sign me up for acting class because I wanted to improve my emotions when I danced. And I had done musicals, but still really, I was in love with musicals, but I was like, I'm going to be a ballet dancer. That's what I want to do when I grow Hmm. up. And then I saw Billy Elliot and I didn't realize that you could do ballet and be in a musical at the same time. So kind of took my two loves and put them together. And I was just completely like, I, I, I had no words. I was just kind of blankly staring at those kids dancing and I couldn't believe it. And I also couldn't believe that like, besides Annie, you could have a bunch of kids in a musical. It was kind of like the first in my generation of performers that really had a ton of kids post Annie, post Annie, get your gun mm-hmm. and well, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang too. Right. Yeah. that I didn't think about it along those lines. Right. Yeah. It seems to be like a generational gap. And then there was, then there was a, a string because it was Matilda. And, and then there was, then there was the actual generation where I was able to be a part of. Yeah. And school of rock. And, yeah. and uh, you know, of course, like you see kids in in productions a lot and you have to have you always have to cast double for every role because like 100%. children what what is it? I don't actually know the children's union laws so you can only do out of eight shows you can only do six five what's the the rule actually, for under there's 18 Actually there's no there's no rule for that. Really? No, there's no I mean to my knowledge there isn't. Um we for a Christmas story we performed every single day. Huh. So what about They're, for little, like little kids? You know what? For little kids, I'm not sure. I was 13 when we did a Christmas story. Our youngest was eight, and she performed eight shows a week. Wow. Yeah, then but how- that also was, you know, 10 years ago. So I'm not sure if the laws have changed since then. But it's unheard of. No one does that anymore. Yeah. When we were in Matilda, we every child. I was a swing in Matilda, so we performed. I was performing twice a week, once for each track to give whoever I was covering the day off. So every day there was a swing on. It was never like full. We used to call it the giraffes. They were giraffes. (laughs) The the main cast was the giraffes and then the swings were the monkeys. 
Oh, because they're swinging. I get it. That's, that's so cute. Oh, yeah. kids. Just kids. <laughs> it, was that hard for you? Uh, looking back on it, um, was it hard for you at that age to to swing into multiple tracks? I mean, because even as an adult, you're shaking no. your head now. Even as an adult, <laughs> like some people are like, yeah, I got to know nine tracks. But I feel like I think learning anything as a child, your brain is more malleable, right? So as you get 100%. older, your brain yeah. calcifies and it's harder to learn mm-hmm. new things. Blah, 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 right? Yeah. And, and as you've gotten older, though, like with your non-performing sort of endeavors with the academic work, has swinging, performing, just the act of needing to memorize, has that, have you found that that has made its way into your normal life? Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, I always say that my work on Matilda we, I talk about this a lot because a few, some of my best friends who were in Matilda also went to Pace with me. One of them is in the acting program for film and television. The other one is in the musical theater program like I was. And we talk about this a lot of how our training on Matilda, specifically the way that um, it worked, because the way that they kind of framed their entire production was how they did it in the West End. And a lot of times productions in the West End are not done the same way as they are here. Specifically, Peter Darling, they're very, very specific in what they want. Everything had to be 135 billion percent every single night you were on. We were noted every single night. So everything had to be exact. A lot of times when a show opens, you don't get noted every night. So you got to remember that you have to be a hundred trillion percent, you know? So for us, we knew that we were being watched the entire time. And if we were doing something wrong, the next day we'd get a note and being like, uh, Annalise went on a single slice, be a little bit sharper with your left hand. Okay, great. Write it down. And if the next night you were on and it wasn't sharp, you would get another note being like, why didn't you correct it from the last time? You know, so it was like, it was kind of a way of training yourself into being like a hundred and always giving every single time, always at an 11, which helps you. I mean, listen, at first people are like, I see your face. I see your face right now and people agree. Um, It's a lot. That sounds horrible. It sounds like so much pressure. It is, but honestly, like, you know, that's kind of the business. They, tre- they treated us like we were adults and I appreciated it because it was, it taught me, especially as Lydia, it kind of framed the artist that I am today to always be, you know, you can't just, you know, just because you're in a show for a long time doesn't mean you could slack off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you have to be on, you got to tell the story because even though it's not your first time telling the story, it's the first time that people in the audience are seeing it. You can't just be doing everything, you know. Yeah, there's always there's always somebody there who's going to come out of that show saying that show saved or that show changed my life. Yeah, because it feels like the first time for them. Yeah, I oh I totally agree with that. I completely agree with that. I I understand that way of thinking. I just I feel like the the getting notes every night. Oh yeah, God, as a kid, as oh it's a lot. Even as as an adult, you're like I I don't want to mess up. I don't want to mess up. No, I mean for us it was more like I. We didn't mind the notes. We just didn't want to show up there two hours before the show started. We didn't care about the note section. We really just didn't want, you know, we would have to show up about two hours before the show to get notes for dance, notes for voice, 
um, we'd have to do safety training. So we'd have mm-hmm. to do like every night we'd have to test and we'd do the swings and then we do the gym sequence. And then we would do the, um, you know, we'd have physical warmups and do a dance warmup and then we'd have a vocal warmup and then we'd have breathing exercises. Like it was an entire process before half hour where the adults didn't have to be there two hours before they'd have to be there like maybe an hour and a half before to do the safeties. But yeah, it's, it's run very, very differently than most shows. We so like you to were, call it the British way. <laughs> <laughs> you were 13, 13, 14 in Matilda, right? 13, 14. I, had, I was cast when I was 13. And then I turned that, that October, I turned 14. And then the following year, I turned 15. And then on tour, I was 16 when they called wow. me to do the tour. So a year I, later. I, so I saw you on the Broadway production then, unless you were swinging out for whatever reason. Maybe. Yeah, I saw the OC. Um, yeah. But but the reason I was asking is is because I was talking I was talking to somebody the other day who uh, moved from another state to New York by themselves mm-hmm. to stay with a friend at fourteen to start auditioning and taking and oh, going wow. to class and all this stuff. And it occurred to me too because you know outside of New York City you get your license at sixteen and that's when teenagers start to like become more independent because before yeah. that you have to have your parents or a sibling or somebody mm-hmm. drive you around everywhere. And so for you having to show up two hours early at 13, 14, and 15, were you taking yourself on the subway or were your oh, no. parents? Like- <laughs> my mom um, is the best. It, both my parents are the best. It was also convenient that I live, you know, I live in Staten Island. That's where I'm from. So I would get picked up from high school and my mom would drive. We would drive straight into the city. Uh, we had an apartment here so I could do some homework. I would do homework and then I'd go to the theater. And then if I wasn't on, I would sit backstage in the schoolroom and do more homework. Um, If I was on, I would go on stage and then leave. And that was it. Yeah. Most, a majority of my time at Matilda was spent doing safeties and doing homework. (laughs) <laughs> I guess that's actually a pretty good play, a place to com- compartmentalize. Oh, it was so great. You know, you know you've got your time to do it. Yeah, and yeah. you know what? So, it really helped out with college and with doing Dowfire. I mean, I never realized how much my training, how much I used my training with Matilda and in ballet as well. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Right. Well, I was going to bring up um, uh, Downfire too because now you're you're still playing relatively the same age. But uh, you know, I was yeah. surprised to learn that that you're in your early twenties now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and so you're pl- you play much younger, which uh, which is wonderful. It's something that will work to your advantage, I suspect, for many years. Thank you. And so. <laughs> and you get to be alongside uh, these two wonderful uh, actual children and then the literal or uh, i guess metaphorical child of rob mcclure mm-hmm. uh because that dude just <laughs> doesn't quit so yeah taking moving this forward taking this into doubtfire and you know your work ethic seems strong you're 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 taking time off from school so you don't have to compete with that sort of thing and now yeah. you get to originate a role on 
Broadway, right? Yeah, so weird. <laughs> so what was that what was that like for you coming in uh and, and creating this this role of Lydia Hillard with um I, I guess first off, did you know anything about the story beforehand? Had did you guys were you told to or not to watch the movie? How did that process work when you were well, creating the character? It's my favorite movie. So I, you know, which was amazing and I say this all the time, but so my dad and I used to watch this movie all the time. So it was kind of like a full circle moment that my character, her entire story revolves around the relationship between herself and her dad. So it was nice for me to have that moment with my dad, as well as Rob, who is just like one of my closest friends. And it's kind of weird to say because he's Rob McClure and that's really awesome. (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah. I mean, I was petrified at first. I thought they had made a mistake because I had only gone in once for the show and then they called the next day and said that I got the role. I thought that they were crazy. I was wow. like, did, did they need to see me one more time? Are they sure? And they were like, no, they're, they're very sure. <laughs> they're sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, cause that like never happens, you know, like throughout my whole life, I had never heard of that happening, let alone for it to happen to myself. I was kind of freaked out. Um, so starting, I was really nervous because I just wanted people to like me. Um, I wanted people to, you know, I was young. I was very, very young. I was 19. And to be leading uh, not only my own character, but now I'm a leader for two other children that are behind me. And I have to be responsible for not only for myself, but for three. Um, that was, a, you know, it's a lot. Um, but I was lucky to have that experience working with, you know, being the oldest of 15, that was being the oldest of three is a breeze compared Mm -hmm. to being the oldest of three. So, um, it was really, really special. And I'm so happy that I had Rob and Jen kind of bringing me along on this journey and kind of, they, Rob and Jen and Jerry Zachs, which is nuts that I, you know, could call them you know, my mentors throughout this process, they basically made me into this adult actor that I am today, which is insane. And that the process, the amount of that I have grown as a performer and as a person from the summer of 2019 until spring of 2022. And that's a long time. And even though we had that time off, they were still, you know, there for me and still helping me. I mean, Jerry you know, I called up Jerry for a favor during the pandemic and asked him if I could get a recommendation letter for school for a portfolio. And Rob as well, um, like if I called Rob or Jen for anything, they'd be right here. They're amazing. And they hmm. really helped me with this role, for sure. That That's super cool to, to hear that about them. And, and I mean, it's not surprising, but it's it's nice to be reassured that that's there because yeah. it seems like uh i mean the crux of the character anyway of rob's character is is founded in love yes. the love for his children that that he will go to any length to be with mm-hmm. his children that it, he's not supposed to be with and right. and i think that that carries over uh when you're good at that role and on stage you know that carries over personally into your your relationships and then yeah. um i was talking with uh jay harrison g earlier and he was saying too that the, all of you as a cast literally like 
went through trauma together mm-hmm. and have shared that experience, it, you know, because you were saying sp- summer 2019, you got cast and then March 2020 shuts down in the middle of previews. Yeah. So you, you the didn't third even preview the third preview. Yeah. You didn't, <laughs> so you didn't even I mean, get, to, get a week. <laughs> yeah. You didn't even get to open. No. And then, and then come back and then go out on hiatus and then come back again. Yeah. We've been through a lot and yeah. Yeah. You know, it was a lot for the entire community as a whole, but specifically for our show, what we have, what we had endured throughout these past almost three years is something that I never would have imagined. Yeah. None of us, none of us would have imagined it. And, you know, our show and our cast specifically, we have been very, very fortunate to have each other. The album just dropped the cast album. It did. (laughs) <laughs> and I've always wondered, I've never had the privilege of originating a role and also being on a cast album. But for you, now this is this was your first time doing this, right? So how how is it that uh, that you you're able to translate? like how does how do they tell you to translate the emotion, the uh, the the realness of performing on stage into the studio because you're not moving around. You're not doing the dancing. Yeah. You know what? It was really hard. Um, I will say it was something that I never expected um, would be that difficult, to be quite honest, because I thought that I had done, you know, voiceover work and I know I know what it's like to record in a studio, obviously from doing my album, but this is like a totally different thing. And also we had, you know, we had, were on hiatus. So we hadn't been doing the role for, you know, you know, they're living in us, but it was the first time that we had sung the songs in like weeks. Oh, wow. Weeks, so, literal well, weeks. We had recorded it right before we went back this time around. Was the, was the plan always to record it during this time? And then the hiatus just happened to ha- happen anyway at at that time or were they like while we're break yeah we had been planning on recording it earlier but then we had to go on a hiatus so then they made it until we went after gotcha gotcha. it was like we start so i had gone to rehearsal with the new kids on monday on tuesday we recorded the album and we opened like a week later oh the new kids yeah i was gonna bring that up too because during hiatus the kids got replaced because the ki- yes, kids grow up. Kids grow. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, kids grow up. And even as, as much as you want to give them the opportunity to do this, gosh, I mean, it was so cool that that they both were able to come back after uh, and reopen the show. Actually open yeah. the show, not even reopen it. Just open Actually it. Actually open it. Yeah, place. open it. Open it. And one of them got to come back and close it. So, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like the most perfect doubtfire craziness that could have happened to be honest but i'm so fortunate too that the six of actually six the eight of them honestly eight kids because we had two and then we had understudies for the first time around um they're just i had the great pleasure being their big sister that's really cool i I love too that you just use the word sister because you mentioned you were you're an only child. So have yeah. you have you always wanted like a big family or just a couple a couple siblings? I feel like a lot of only child children that I talk to are 
like it just in my life in general, being like, oh, I always wanted a brother. And I wish I had an older sister to play with. No, because, well, I'm an only child, but I also love my space, but I have a huge family. I have a huge extended family. So, you know, I, I'm kind of used to go. I love being with my family and I love being with a ton of people. But when I come home, I like my space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's, you know, if I, if I had grown up with, siblings I definitely wouldn't have complained but I love I love being an only child I, I think it's kind of <laughs> cool because cast cast is sort of I mean even though you don't more or less have influence over who you're cast with for the most yeah. part they are sort they, they do become like a chosen family so yeah I, and then now uh, as we were saying earlier that with the opening and the, or the the pausing the shutdown the hiatus and everything that you guys have been through so much together that you've got these shared experiences that uh, hopefully there's never a global pandemic that shuts down Broadway again. But yeah. now you've gone through things that are probably once in a lifetime, really important bonding moments for everybody. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I watched, it was so beautiful to watch both of them not grow physically. I mean, physically, yes, but also mentally. Um, I mean, we started and Avery was just, you know, a baby and now she's she's gonna be a teenager in august like that's so weird she's gonna be a teenager i know it's so weird um it's crazy and jake is gonna be 16 in september which is so weird um you know they're they were babies and now they're you know young adults jake is a young adult but yeah (laughs) <laughs> Avery's going to be a teenager. When you're 13, you think you're a young adult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Avery, Avery's got it all figured out. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, and like our new our new kids were so, you know, they're, the girls are nine and the boys were 12 and 11. And we, you know, they're, I'm excited to watch them grow as well. I mean, now they're just, all of them are just the sweetest. That's, that's really, really cool. I love that you have that and that you've got, you know, more mentors and friends in Rob and Jen, and I'm sure Brad Oscar and Jay and and everybody else. Everybody. The the whole cast is so, so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And I, I I love, I just love to watch the the love that you could feel on stage between everybody. And, and I, uh, the cast album just dropped. It's again, it captures all of this in such a, a wonderful, wonderful way. But um, I wanted to actually get back to um, to something uh, slightly personal of yours, I guess, is is the original misdiagnosis and now correct diagnosis of Crohn's disease. Yeah. I actually just had a, a friend of mine a last year, as the first close friend I've had who was diagnosed with it. And she was for years complaining of abdominal pain and didn't yeah. know why. And then immediately like finally got diagnosed and they're like, we have to remove part of your intestine like now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I guess talk about that sort of thing because I was I was reading an article I think by your doctor um that was that was posted about the whole situation and and um I'll let you tell the story but it it yeah. it it seems um like that has shaped so much of who you are now mm-hmm. uh because you talked at the very beginning you talked about your exercise routine and you you're very regimented now so yes. you tell the story Yeah so um basically long story short I was 10 years old and I had just seen Billy Elliot on Broadway and I, you know, 
loved it so much and decided to submit my picture and resume to through snail mail to a manager that I found in the Billy Elliot playbill. <laughs> and I was in summer camp for ballet, ballet camp for the entire month of that following July. And I got a call saying that um, the manager wanted to meet with me. So I met with the manager and the next day I had my audition for Billy Elliot, my very first Broadway audition ever. And I ran out of the room in hysterics crying because I was so scared because um, I was not a tap dancer and I didn't realize that, you know, in Billy Elliot, it wasn't just a ballet show. You also needed to tap dance. And I was quite frightened um, and my stomach was killing me. And eventually we had discovered that I was, you know, doing, there were some nasty things that were escaping from my body. We'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> there were some nasty things. Um and, you know, it, you know, after research and doctors later, I was officially diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And then a year later, it had morphed into Crohn's disease. I had ulcers all throughout my esophagus, through um, my stomach, in my intestines. They were just everywhere. Um, I was quite sick. But um, luckily, I'm in remission for about, I guess, five, six years. Yeah five or six years. But throughout that time, I was still auditioning. And I love to tell this story specifically. So I'm on medication, um, an IV drip biologic eight times a week, uh, not eight times a week, um, every eight weeks. And I love to tell this story because at first, you know, my parents were kind of against it. Um, they didn't know, you know, side effects. They didn't know what was going to happen, whatever. It had just started to be given to children. Oh, right, because it was adults only. During that time, it was adults yeah. only. And it had just been started to be, um, you know, distributed to children. And I would have been like one of like the first, you know, thousands of kids, I guess, who were put on this medication. So they were not entirely sure. And when I got home one day, for, I went, I decided to go for the treatment. And when I got home from the treatment, there was a, a newsletter in my mailbox that was from, um, from Mount Sinai Hospital, which was not my hospital at the time, but we had gotten this um, IBD Kids newsletter. And I opened it on the front page. There was Chelsea Stock, who was Ariel in The Little Mermaid on Broadway and who had also done something rotten and just had done like a bunch of shows on Broadway. Um, and on the front page, there she was on her IV drip, the same medication that I was talking about her story, about how she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at 16 and was playing Ariel on Broadway in The Little Mermaid. And I said, well, if she can do it, why can't I? And that basically, that story was the one that kind of kept me going. And what was crazy was that when I was in A Christmas Story, I was able to meet Chelsea and she came to see the show and Aww. she saw me in my Broadway debut. Did you and tell I told her? her did I did. Her? And, you know, she, it was funny because she was like, I didn't even think that anybody read that. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I didn't even think that people actually read that article. And you did. And now, like, you use that as your inspiration. You know, it's like, and that's why I love to do all kinds of things. Because you never know who's listening. And you never know who's going to hear your story. And you never know, you know, 
who's going to be inspired by your story. Like, I hope that there are some kids with Crohn's out there that are listening or, you know, some kids who not don't even have Crohn's, like don't even think that they're good enough to be on Broadway or good enough to do theater in general, even on like at their school. I hope that this, I hope that things like this help them. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Wow. Wow. Okay. So the there I want to get into the teaching and coaching that you do because you you, yeah. talked, you you were saying that you hope the inspire things. So I'm gonna put a pin and come back to that. But the, yeah. the the ulcers all up and down your digestive tract sounds like some of the worst pain I can imagine. And all at the same time, you're freaking auditioning for Broadway and on Broadway all yes. over the and place. And no one knew. I told no one. I didn't tell a single soul. So again, what the hell? Um, (laughs) (laughs) what the hell what the hell so you're singing are are you are you feeling the pain on stage during this point or is it just like I had no pain really yeah I was just making a lot of trips to the banyo oh (laughs) yeah I was I was yeah it was a lot that I I honestly my cousin also has Crohn's and she had immense pain. She had surgery as well. Um, I did not have surgery. I did not have pain. I just was going. So even and like lo- the- I, I lost, I was very, very fat. I lost so much weight. Yeah. Right. Well, that that's why I was I, why I brought that up when you're talking about the kids, because like you play yeah. young because you're like in some of the most important growth years of your life, you're you weren't yes. able to properly absorb the nutrients your body needed to grow. No, no. Um, and that's why the medicine was so helpful. And by the time I was in Matilda and A Christmas Story, I was regulated. I was very settled and I was very set. So it was, you know, it, I was very fortunate to have been okay throughout that time um, that I was in the shows because the medicine really, really turned everything around. Yeah. Wow. I, well, good for you. I mean, for Thank not you. for not giving up. Because, oh no! Yeah, there are so many things that I mean. You read never. stories, yeah, <laughs> never, <laughs> never. You know what? I to, to this day, like when I have my treatments, and they, I mean, my, my treatments knock me out sometimes. And it was like right when Dow fired open. We were still in previews. I had my treatment in the morning. I went straight to rehearsal because we were still in previews and we had to rehearse. And then I did the show that night, and I was. I didn't get any sleep. Um, usually I at least just like to like, I never sleep, but I like to at least relax and not move. And I had no choice but to move that day. And I was, I had never felt like that in a long wow. time. Like just like what, just, I was just exhausted and so drained. And it was a Friday and I was like, I can't move. But I did it because I wasn't going to let it stop me. I wasn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, let my Crohn's have that much power over stopping me from performing. It's just, it doesn't have the right to do that. So. <laughs> oh, that that's <laughs> such a wonderful way of thinking about it. Did, did the production team, were they cooperative too? I mean, uh, it sounds like. Oh they yeah, were, they but- knew. They were great. They were great. And they knew. And, you know, I had people backstage being like, did you drink water today? Like, did you drink? Oh, really? Did you have an app? Are you hydrated? Are you okay? Like, are you good? I had about 
50 people in the cast, like following me around. My dresser would be like, drink, here, have your water. Charity Dawson, who was my dressing room, being like, here, you're not drinking your water. Drink your water right now. Wow. <laughs> Which was great. I had a, everybody around me. And like they knew when I would have my treatments and I would like tell them like being like, hey, I have my treatment today. And they'd be like, all right, you're good. We got you. Wow. So you would have to go on, you'd get your treatment and then like go do full shows sometimes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds brutal. And then it's honestly, and- just the one day was the first time I had ever experienced that. Um, when I was in Matilda, it was kind of easier because I would schedule the treatments for days that I wasn't on. Um so that was easy. I could just go sit upstairs and put my head down. But yeah, I mean, for Christmas story, it was the same thing. I went for my treatments and then I performed at night. Well, you were saying that, you know, coming out of the Matilda, the British way, you always have to be at an 11. So were, did that play into like any sort of psyche of like, Oh God, I got to do this treatment and I got to be on and I got to be at at 11. Like I'm not going to be good enough. Uh, Or were you just like, you know what? this is my fam. They got me. We're cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, for Lydia, I could sort of take out my frustration and use that in the work. So if I was feeling tired, I used it, you know, and it's different with Matilda because Matilda, you always just had to be, it was like this choice or the highway. Um, so with Lydia, because, you know, she's, she's kind of, mine she's me um at that point like i you know it's not like i was replacing somebody Mm -hmm. it was me and they were my choices and with the guidance of everyone around me and jerry and obviously i wouldn't just like go rogue because that's not right but i would you know use that in my emotions if i was feeling upset that day i would of course use that because you know my story specifically was very upsetting i was very angry um it wasn't hard for me to take out frustration i could use that in my work that's a really good way to to channel that through i think it's probably you know more of the catharsis and and whatnot that that's great so you're involved um you're do was i reading right that you do like activist work like promotional work yeah for for the foundation yeah yeah yeah. so plug that real quick let's talk about that yeah so i do um this year i wasn't able to because there was just so much going on with Doubtfire, but I usually participate in the Take Steps for Crohn's and Colitis Walk every single year. Um, I was an honoree back when I was a senior in high school. So it was a bit ago, like 2017. And they honored me for being the pediatric patient honoree. (laughs) And that was really cool. My team is called Broadway for Bellies. And we have raised over like $25,000 in total. Um, Wow. Which has been amazing. Yeah. Wow. Well, hit me up. So I want to be on the Bellies team. You yeah, I'm hoping to now. bring it back. I'm hoping to bring it back next year. Definitely Please. bring it back. Please. I like to walk and I lo- and probably for Belly sounds great. And 100%. then we'll go back to the teaching and the coaching. So yeah. And you're you teach and coach specifically teens and kids on on yes. on what? They're like getting uh, funneling their anger through anything. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. No, I'm going to teach anger issues today. No. Um, I Listen, for teens? Come on. Yeah, I mean, true. Everything now is about an angsty teen. But honestly, <laughs> I'm open to teaching. I teach 
everything. I mean, if you want to take dance lessons, if you want to do acting coachings, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm auditioning for, I don't know, Mary Poppins at the Muni off the top of my head. Or it doesn't have to be, I'm auditioning for Matilda on Broadway. It could be like, oh, I'm working on Susicle at my school and I want to work on the role. Can you help me? I don't care. Of course. I've done Susicle three times. I know everything about Susicle. Susicle is one of my favorite shows. I love working on any type of performing in any type of capacity. Even like if you need like repertoire, it doesn't have to be anything. It could, we could just work on technique. I love my favorite thing when I was growing up and still do. I love to learn. I love learning. I love, I, you're never done. No matter how old you are, no matter what you're doing, you're never done learning in your field. Hold and, on to that. Hold yeah. on to that, please. <laughs> Specifically for me, um, I have really developed a love for teaching because I love to show, you know, I love to give insight on growing up in an industry that, you know, is constantly changing. This, this industry is constantly changing and moving and shaping different ways. Um, and there, you know, back when I was a young teenager, I mean, it was kind of unprecedented for a 13 year old to be in a Broadway show, but also that 13 year old was four foot six when she was starting high school because she had Crohn's disease. So that, <laughs> that was, you know, it was kind of unprecedented for somebody in high school to be doing, you know, be surrounded by a bunch of nine year olds. Um, but now, I mean, it's kind of this really cool thing that like all these different kids, like back then the industry was kind of just like cookie cutter mm -hmm. and now it's kind of not, and it's really cool. Yeah. And I love what, and I love watching, I love watching kids discover things. I, I specifically, I'm going to bring up Ava Gale Prince who played my sister, Natalie, um, and Austin. Fisher and Avery Sell, um, all of our Natalies when they were nine years old and the two girls who are currently nine right now, I loved getting to watch the show through their eyes because I used to, and I'm sure that like a lot of adults feel this way too, but watching young children experience things for the first time and specifically those girls who played Natalie, Addison, Techman, who was the understudy, and Lily Tamburo, who was also the understudy for Natalie when we first opened. Just watching them experience the show through their eyes and to watch them experience the audience and the energy and the lights every single night just gave me so much joy. And it makes me want to teach. And that's why I love teaching because I get to see how theater affects kids at such a young age and even teenagers. Um, and sometimes when you're my age, you forget. And I know that when I'm older, I'm going to forget too, but they always used to remind me like how much, how much I really love it. Yeah. Well, you have to love it to stick yeah. with it because it's uh -huh. a hard ass business. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it is. How, if people want to reach out and have you coach them, how can they reach out? My website, which is just my name, AnnaliseScarpacci.com. That is Annalise with one N and Scarpacci with one C in the beginning and one C in the end. Um, <laughs> a lot of people love to, you know, 
spell my name in various ways. I would love to be a Barbie princess, but unfortunately I'm not. My name is much shorter than what the Barbie princess spells. But <laughs> you can click the tab in my in the corner that says teaching and coaching. I'm also on every social media platform you can think of. I'm on the Facebook, the Twitter, the TikTok, the whatever, the Instagram. Yeah. Well, we'll put <laughs> I'll put the uh the link to the website. Yeah. And all that in the show notes. So you can check the show notes here so you don't have to worry about spelling Annalise's name. But right. And that because <laughs> as, as Alan Seals can be spelled in, in a plethora of different ways True. as well. So I, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. Even what gets me though, and this is just a pet peeve of mine, is when replying to me in an email when my name is literally <gasps> typed out it's in front of worst. you and they still typo it. No, it's so annoying. Like my pet peeve is when people spell my name with two N's and I'm like, people, like I get it. I understand. I understand the pain here, but it's quite literally in my, <laughs> like it's, it's in like when I reply to an email, like it's automatically there, Annalise Scarpacci. Yep. It's not that hard. You have eyes. Yep. Just pay I, I, attention. It's just, just, it's basic just reading comprehension. <laughs> You are a kid after my own heart. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Grammar Nazi, too, I bet. Oh, oh God. Um, okay, so three questions I ask everyone to wrap up the episodes. The first one, just easily, simply, what motivates you? Oh, my goodness. Um, kind of everything. <laughs> everything kind of motivates. It depends on my mood. Right now, what's motivating me is um, kind of... <laughs> this is a terrible motivation. But ice cream, you know, independence. Oh, independence. That's what that's what I was going to say. I was totally going to say independence. Right, ice right. cream and independence. Yes. All right. This and is adulthood. a adulthood. This is a really good point. God, I remember my early twenties. It was the freaking best. Yeah, it was the best. Yeah. You're in a good place. All right. <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Um, advice for myself would be. It's okay to feel stressed out. I was always stressed and I always thought that it was like the worst thing in the world. Um, I also would give myself the advice not to be perfect. And I would tell young people who want to do theater and I would also extend that advice to parents that being in this industry is a huge sacrifice and you have to want it. And it has to be your decision, not anybody else's, not your mom's, not your grandma's, not your dad's not your cousins, not your sisters. It has to be yours. Um, you have to be the one who wants to do it. And I give my advice to parents and guardians of children who want to be in this industry. It is not only a sacrifice for your child, it is a sacrifice for the entire family. So if you as a family are not ready for that sacrifice, um, I suggest that maybe stick and stay local for the time being until you're ready as a family. You know, I have tons of, I was very fortunate in my life to live 20 minutes out of the city where I can easily commute here. I also am an only child. So my parents didn't have other children to take care of. Um, my, one of my best friends, Marcus D'Angelo, he started a Matilda with me. He's the youngest of six kids and his family is from Boston. Wow. So they had, you know, relocating an entire fam, relocating just the youngest child in your family. Um, you know, when you have five other kids at home, some of them were in college at the time. 
it's, it's crazy. Insane. And, you know, and, and your parent, uh, their parents also like his mom was a doctor and his dad was a judge. Like they had jobs where they had to be there all the time. So, you know, arranging a babysitter, arranging a nanny, arranging to pay for an apartment, like it's a lot of work and it's a, a, a huge sacrifice. And if you're willing to take that risk to pursue your child's dreams, I really respect you and commend you. And if you don't, like I still respect you and commend you because, you know, you have to do what's right for your family. Wiser words have never been spoken. All right. <laughs> Final question. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I've ne specifically either Gypsy with Patti Lapone, the, the 2008 revival. Mm, so good. Evita with Patti Lapone. <laughs> it's always going to revolve around Patti Lapone. Anything with Patty Lapone. Oliver. Have you met, have you Oliver met her? with Patty. I have not. <laughs> you really? You haven't met Patty? I know. Can you believe it? Because <laughs> I, I can't. I need to help Meg. I wanna I'm on a quest now. I want <laughs> I wanna do everybody who knows Patty and knows me are like, oh my God, she's gonna love you. And I hope she does because I also love her. And I'm currently reading her book for like the third time. <laughs> but yeah, I just I love her. I think she's just so herself at all times and doesn't care what people think about her. And I hope in my life to, you know, I really, I don't, not that I care what people think about me. I do, but, um, you know, I just want to get to the point where I'm so sure of myself and she's so sure of herself. She was, she was my, she was my 200th episode on the podcast <gasps> and, and such a newfound That's love amazing. and respect for her after talking with her one-on-one -on -one for an hour, right? Just yeah. like you said, just she cares. What was really cool was she cares so much about the, the audience and it, she gets yeah. such a bad rep for going after the audience all the time. <laughs> she but, but she said, you know, we were talking like, why'd you get into theater? What made you want to perform? And she's like, when she was a kid, it was the audience. She got into performing for the audience because of the way you can, you can. Yeah. She says that in her book. Right. Right. And, so that, that, it just, everything just clicked into place for me when she started She's talking amazing. about that. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of like the point that, you know, growing up, I wasn't like we, in theater, like, you know, the big names, you know, Liza Minnelli, you know, Judy Garland, you know, Patti Lapone, you know, Bernadette Peters, et cetera, Audrey McDonald. Um, you don't necessarily, like growing up in community theater, I never really researched as much as I should have. And it wasn't until I was in high school and was looking for repertoire to audition for college that I discovered, you know, her entire career as a whole. And then I, and as same way with Bernadette Peters, like two really awesome women from New York who, you know, just became an entire Broadway persona. Like they're just like, they are Broadway to me. Mm -hmm. They are Broadway. They are you know, Broadway, like women, empowering women, strong women on Broadway. And that's always who I wanted to be. And I always like, you know, not saying that I have to be like, you know, when you say Patty, everybody knows who you're talking about. I don't have to be Annalise, you know, who you're talking about, but I at least would like to be along the lines of, you know, to know that for women behind me and women coming forward that I've made a difference. Yeah. Oh God! Plus one million on that. It, it, it's uh, she, she said that too. That that part of um, who she she is, what she is, because 
you know, women in general, if you stand up for yourself, you get labeled as difficult or you get labeled as, yes. you know, one word or another. And, and she's always just spoken her mind and stood up for what she believed in. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, like, she's always advocated for herself and always been this yes. nice, positive person, but everyone mm -hmm. wants to talk about the crap. And it's just not, it's yeah. not fair. It's not fair yeah. because as a she's woman awesome. in the 70s, <laughs> she was the first class at Juilliard for acting. I know. Isn't that crazy? Like, come on. Uh, she's God. an icon. Right, she's right. an iconic human. And for school, I did an assignment, um, which if you'd like to watch, it's on my Instagram. I The assignment was to um, pretty much embody an iconic performance. And I embodied her entire Rose's turn. I did, <laughs> I did include the part where she yells at the audience, but the whole point of the assignment was the fact that she went back and started from the beginning and just completely did it effortlessly. Like she did what she had to do. She spoke her piece and then just went right back to the beginning and did the entire thing and got a standing ovation at the end. Will you, like, will you, what an icon. Will you email that to me? I want to, I want to include that in the show notes and I want to make sure oh that, we, that we get that out there. And I want that. I'm going to send it to Patty's publicist so she no, sees it. You too. I literally will. No, I can't. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if she ever knew who I was, I would probably vomit. Well, she's about to now. So I will make sure she knows who you are because she deserves, you deserve to be known. She needs to know who you are because you are both amazing women who are going to go places. Her career is just starting. Keep an eye on Patty Lapone. You, you, you're good for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so thank you so much. Uh, so quick, uh, you're on uh, social media. You said you're on all the on the social, all the socials. All the so I'll have the links to all that in the show notes. Uh, of course, you're teaching. Um, there's a contact form there if you want Annalise to teach. For you, help you with coaching, please go listen to A Pathetic Little Dreamer. The EP is out everywhere you find your music. It's so freaking good. And I'm not just saying that because she's standing in front of me. It's just really <laughs> that good. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, theater underscore podcast. I'm on the TikToks. You know, find me, the theater podcast. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Jukebox the Ghost gave us our intro and outro music. And Annalise, thank you again. This was so much fun. Thank you. Make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.